Welcome back to For You and For Me, the podcast of Monsignor Kieran Harrington's Sunday homilies. The first reading is the Oracle of Nathan from the second book of Samuel. The second reading is the doxology of St. Paul's at the very end of his letter to the Romans. And the gospel reading is the announcement of the birth of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. Monsignor begins by recounting some of the history of King David, providing context for the first reading from Samuel. He makes the point that the best example we have of accepting the will of God in our own lives is, of course, Mary, and compares the reaction of David to that of Mary. In her, we have our model for how we really should properly prepare for the coming of the Christ child. If we want to have a a bit of a time frame, we should think about King David as about 1,000 years before Christ was to come. So if we think about King David reigning 1,000 years before time, before Christ would come, we can get a sense of this uh, first reading, like when was he talking about building that first temple? But one of the things that we know uh, about King David and which we actually discover in Chronicles is is that the the Lord, he wants to build this, this temple for the Lord but the Lord does not give him the right to build the temple. We know that it, the temple is built some 40 years later, begun 40 years later by King Solomon. So the question is, is, is what we're hearing in Samuel, why is it that David, who's the great king, the first king, is not able to build the temple? Right? And the answer to that question, uh, we can surmise as a bunch of different things. Some people may say it's because he stole the wife of Uriah the Hittite committed a terrible sin. It had him sent into battle and had him killed. David was a very flawed man, despite everything that he gave him. But that was not the reason. The reason given in Chronicles is that David has spilled too much blood. And because he has spilled so much blood in war, and David is a warrior king, he is not worthy to build the temple. So this should then help us understand a little bit about what's going on. It's interesting to think, right? Why is God's dwelling in, an, in, a, in a tent? Right? This is it's kind of a fascinating question if you think about it, right? He built a cedar house for himself. He built a whole city. And there's God's dwelling in a, the, the ark is dwelling in a tent. Why is that? And the reason for that is, of course, the people were nomadic people. But more importantly is, is that the ark was always brought into battle with the people. And so it wasn't seen that God was in just one simple one place. He was traveling always with the people. I think that that is important, right? Because if we think about when we speak about Emmanuel, Joshua, what we're saying is God is with us. Not in one particular place, simply here in the tabernacle. But God is traveling with us. God is with us. This then should help us sort of understand a little bit about our own life. And it's fascinating also that David has the wherewithal at least to say, here I am, look at the place I'm living in, what have I given to God? This is a good question that David is able to ask. Does, Does everyone ask that question? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't ask that question, but David asks that question says, here I am, I live in this, this, this great place. What have I done for God? So it says that David, who was a flawed man, David, who was a flawed man, a sinful man, 
doesn't mean that he is not an instrument in the hands of God. And this should then give encouragement to you and to me, right? That we can be flawed, we can be sinful, but that does not mean that God will not use us. So then what is required? Well, what is required is, is what we hear in the very end of St. Paul's letter to the Romans. This is the very end of his letter. And one of the things he speaks about is obedience of faith. We have to be obedient to what God has asked us. So, two things. David, David doesn't just immediately say, you know what, I live in a cedar house. God's going to live in a cedar house too. I'm going to build this great palace for him. He doesn't do that. He may think that a dwelling is fit, but he doesn't do it that way. He speaks to the priest, the prophet, Nathan, and says, should I do this? Notice the humility of David. He doesn't just go set about doing something. He submits himself to someone else. Should I do this? Well, so too, in faith, we have to ask questions in prayer. And not simply tell ourselves a story, but kind of have that story verified by our conversations, our spiritual conversations with others. This then is the point of, of Romans, submitting to God in prayer, asking God, what is it you want me to do? and then seeking to put that into effect in our own life. And of course, the example par excellence of all of this is Mary. Notice one thing. If we were listening to uh, St. Luke's Gospel, as we were reading St. Luke's Gospel, Gabriel appears twice. Right? He appears first to Zachariah, Zachariah who's the father of John the Baptist. What happens in that interaction? Zachariah does not believe the word of the angel. And so he's struck dumb. He's not able to speak, right? He's not able to speak for nine months until John is born. But this interaction is a little different. So what's the difference of the interaction? First thing is, is the interaction is, is Zechariah, who encounters Gabriel, the angel, immediately does not believe. That is not what the interaction with Mary is. Mary's first interaction is, I am not worthy for this to be happening. Think about that for a moment. Mary's posture is of complete humility. She recognizes her smallness in the face of God. And so she, it's not that she doesn't believe, but she recognizes her own humility. She recognizes her own situation vis-a-vis -vis Guy, and that's why she is being built up. And her question is not so much a challenge to say that God cannot do something, but is a reflection of that reality. So maybe then the thing that hinges all of our reading together today is this very beautiful line which we might want to think about is nothing is impossible for God. Think about that in your life and in my life. Think about the circumstances that are in your life and in my life that where maybe you say this seems to be something that is unresolved. Someone who is sick and dying. And in sickness and in dying, you say, this is not going to get worked out. Maybe I'm dealing with a problem in terms of my work, that there is a challenge at work that doesn't seem like it's ever going to be resolved. Either I don't get along with my boss or I don't get along with my employee. How is it that that situation is going to be worked out? Maybe it's a family situation. You're married and you're unhappy in your marriage and you wonder, how is this ever going to be resolved? You feel trapped. Nothing is impossible for God. 
Maybe it's your question of your status. Like, I'm trying to figure out where am I going to be? Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? Nothing is impossible for God. These are the questions that we are called to ask. If nothing is impossible for God, but there is a but. It requires a question of fidelity, obedience to God's will. It requires self-surrender to God. And how do we know that we surrender ourselves into the hands of God? We know that we surrender ourselves into the hands of God when we don't necessarily get the answer back that we want to hear. David wanted to build a temple. He didn't get to do that. That was given to his son. That was the plan of God, his son, King Solomon. Mary never conceived that she was going to bear the Christ child, but she surrendered to God's will. This then is the challenge for you and for me in the scriptures today. Advent is a time of waiting. I don't know about you, but I am a terrible waiter. I do not wait well. I get very anxious. I start to get, get distracted. I don't prepare myself as best I should for the situation in which I'm going to encounter. That's what Advent is for us. It's not to allow ourselves to get distracted by running around and buying toys or gifts for Christmas. It's not so much about running around and having every encounter make sure everybody knows that you love them and care for them. It's to prepare ourselves to greet the Christ child, Christ child in our heart so that we may manifest him in the world. Mary was able to allow that to take place. And it was that encounter with the angel Gabriel who said nothing will be impossible to God and he points out to her as proof that nothing will be impossible. Look at Elizabeth. Nobody ever thought she could have a child. But I did this as encouragement for Mary. And so for you and for me, we have to look at those moments, those miracles that take place as proof that nothing will be impossible for God. Maybe it doesn't play itself out as the way I want it to be, but nothing will be impossible for him because he loves you, he loves me, and he has brought about our redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. May God bless you. This show is brought to you by DeSales Media Group. Until next time, which unfortunately will be the last time, for Monsignor Karen Harrington, I'm Dave Plisky, and these are his words to live by, for you and for me.